listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. My name is Adam McKeldring. I uh, serve here as the associate pastor on staff, and I've had the privilege of being in this role for almost two years. And during that time, I have met a lot of new family and people that have walked in here on a Sunday morning. And, you know, some of those new people are returning to the area. They've been here before. And some of those people are here for the very first time. And you can always tell who is who. Because those people who are just moving here for the first time tell you how much they love Moscow. (laughs) And if you've been here very long, you know that is not our name. And you politely correct them. It's Moscow. Not Moscow. You know, this past week I went on a little bit of a rabbit trail as I was doing sermon prep. And I don't know how many of you know this, but did you know that when this place was first settled back in the 1870s, that this was hog heaven? Hog heaven. Man, I'm glad they changed that name. <laughs> Thankfully, that didn't last very long. They did change it to Paradise Valley for a short period of time, which I like that. I think that's pretty good. But eventually, it, it landed on Moscow. But why am I giving you guys a short history on the name of this place? Because names are important to us, aren't they? They are very important to us because it is a part of who we are. It is a part of our identity. And today, as we jump into the sixth letter in Revelation, the letter to the church in Philadelphia, one of the things that we're going to see, one of the things that we're going to focus on today is that their identity is a big part of their story that Jesus addresses. You know, Josh has been starting his sermons the last few weeks off in a way that I've really enjoyed, and I want to do it the same way with you guys today. And I want to jump right into the text, and I want to read this letter to the Philadelphians to you guys right now. I invite you to come over with me, if you have your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 3. It'll be up on the board, or on the screens here too, if you don't have yours with you. But as we read through this, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to read and listen to it through the perspective of you being the 21st century Westerners that you are. All right? Just read it and listen to it with who you are. So here it is. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and... and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world 
to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of my, uh, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So you may have noticed that this letter is different than the previous three that we've worked through. This one has a different feel to it. Because nowhere in here is Jesus giving them a correction like he did. This is more like the letter that he wrote to Smyrna that we saw four weeks ago. Where it's more of a positive, encouraging type of feel. But there are a couple of things that as we are listening and looking at this through our perspective and our time and our place that don't seem to make much sense. Talk about doors and there's a lot of stuff in here about names and pillars of the temple and we're like, what is all this stuff? Well, let's spend a little bit of time this morning and let's dive into this city of Philadelphia. Let's go back and learn what we can to see if we can understand this text a little better. So on this trip that we went on, Josh and I, last September, we landed in Philadelphia one afternoon, and this is, oh, there's a map that I forgot to tell you about. Let's go back to that. Sorry, Joe. Let's remember where we are on the map. Uh, down lower left there, that's Patmos. That is where John is at writing this letter to the seven churches. And we've worked our way from Ephesus up north to Smyrna and Pergamum. And we took a right down in southeast into Thyatira, Sardis, and now Philadelphia. Sorry, I forgot to tell you where we were. Let's go back to this picture. This is Philadelphia today. Well, this isn't Philadelphia, actually. This is the one site that we visited, and this is a 4th century church, 4th century AD, called St. John's Church. It's one of the only sites that you can go there. There's a few other ones. But like Thyatira, there's a modern city right on top of this site. You can kind of see it in the background. So this is all I have for pictures. There's not much to see there. And there's not much going to be see there in the future because there are no archaeologists very interested in digging here. But we do know quite a bit about the history of this city. The city is the youngest of all the cities that are written to in the book of Revelation. And we only have to go back to the second century BC to find its origin. So during that time period, there's a guy by the name of Eumenes II who was ruling this whole area. And he was ruling from that city, Pergamum. If you remember Josh talking about how Pergamum was, for whatever reason, the the place that most rulers like to, to sit on their throne there. So he's ruling there, and he has this little brother named Attalus. And during this time period, there is 
a country to the west that's rising up in power, a country by the name of Rome. And Rome is trying to push their, their power and their influence eastward. And they come to Attalus and they say, hey, work with us. Help us take out your brother and we'll let you stay in power here as we move east. But Attalus was a loving, loyal brother and he refused to betray Eumenes. And so Eumenes gives him a nickname. He calls him Philadelphos, which means love of brother. A little while after that, a city is established, a city called Philadelphia, that was in honor of the love and loyalty that Attalus had for his brother. But it also had a very strategic mission and place that it was placed. We zoom in on that map that I briefly showed you before. Philadelphia is sitting right towards the end of this valley. And something that's not drawn on this map are the borders. There are borders to like two or three other countries right in this area. So they are sitting right in prime real estate. And they had a very specific mission. And that mission was to bring the Greek way of life to the east. To push out that mentality to everybody that they were around. And they were really good at it. This area also had some very rich volcanic soil. And because of that, they were able to grow grapes. And they had vineyards upon vineyards upon vineyards. Here's a they're still there to this day. And they were very well known for their vineyards and for the wine that they made there. And as such, because grapes were very important to them and wine was a part of who they were, obviously they would worship the god of wine, Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of wine and art If you remember, Josh referred to him when we were talking about Pergamum as the god of spring break. That's who this guy was. Now, as the city continues to be established, in a series of really weird events, after the ruler of this area dies, he wills the entire region to Rome. And so Rome is in control now. And as Rome is controlling the area, Philadelphia continues to thrive. They continue to thrive because they are still making amazing wine. It's still part of what they are known for throughout the world. But during this time that they were under the control of the Romans, they started to experience some very interesting things that would challenge who they were. During the reign of Tiberius, during the beginning of the first century, an enormous earthquake hit this region. And the entire city of Philadelphia was destroyed. And so Tiberius comes along and he says, I'm going to give you some help. 
He gives them a stimulus package. And they're able to work on rebuilding the city. But as they're rebuilding, it says that the aftershocks were so severe that the people couldn't even live in Philadelphia anymore. They had to move out into the surrounding areas and live there and then come back in and try to build up the city walls and all the buildings in between aftershocks. They were essentially almost made homeless. After the remodel is done, they wanted to show their gratitude to Caesar, to Tiberius, for what he had done for them, so they changed their name to Neo Caesarea. New Caesar. And so Neo Caesarea is now operating in this same role that Philadelphia had been. And they're there for several decades until a couple of emperors later, a guy by the name of Nero comes onto the scene. And Nero is not a good guy. If you know your Roman history, first Christian, uh, first guy to really persecute Christians. But during his reign, Neo Caesarea goes back and changes their name again. They don't want to honor Tiberius anymore. And so they change their name back to Philadelphia. But that only sticks for a couple more decades. And then in the 70s, another massive earthquake hits this entire region, and the city is destroyed again. And this time, there's a guy on the throne in Rome, called his name is Vespasian. And he does the same thing. He gives them a little boost to help them rebuild. After they rebuild the city, they show their gratitude by renaming their city, but this time they honor his wife, and they change their name to Flavia. But then another tragedy hits this area, one that wasn't really geological this time. In the 90s, there's a guy in Rome by the name of Domitian who's ruling. And Domitian was one of the worst of the worst. And one of the things that he did is that he declared this edict that every province in the Roman Empire had to get rid of half of their vineyards, wipe them out, and replace all of that production instead with wheat. Now, for some areas, this is probably not a big deal, but for Philadelphia, or Flavia as we now know it, this is a big deal because grapes is who they were. It's what they were known for. And half of that had been just stripped away like that. A few years after that edict, Domitian is assassinated because he's not a good dude. And after he's assassinated, the city of Flavia makes the decision to go back to their roots, to be a city of brotherly love, and they go back to being known as Philadelphia. And this is the city. These are the the people that Jesus is writing to through John in Revelation. They've been through a lot in the very short amount of time that the city's been in existence. 
So now as we have a little better understanding of some of the things that this city has been through, some of the things that are going on around them, let's go back to the letter. But this time, I don't want you guys to follow along with me. I just want you to listen. And I want you to do the best that you can to try to put your shoes into those of the Philadelphians that were in this first century church. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to hear it through their perspective. Imagine me being the messenger that shows up at your house church to read this letter from the Apostle John that is written just for you. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven. And I will also write on them My new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, if you've ever wondered, does Jesus really care about the local church? Does he really even know what's going on in, our church, in a church or in the area that a church is at? You cannot deny the fact that these letters, this letter to the Philadelphians and all the ones that we have talked about previously are a testament to the fact that Jesus knows and cares for each of his churches. He knows everything the Philadelphians have been experiencing for for the two, two, three hundred years they've been in existence. He knows their struggles. And he cares about them. And I know that he 
cares and is vested in this little church here in Moscow, Idaho, 2022, on the Palouse, he knows everything that is going in on in this church and around this church. He cares and is invested in each and every one of his little churches. He knew what was going on in this church in Philadelphia. The things that they had a reputation for. And he also knew and could see that they were struggling to know who they were. What their identity was. From the natural disasters that had been occurring to them and decimating their city to that made it very difficult for them to even have a home to live in. They could, could they even call themselves Philadelphians? They weren't living in the city. To having to change their name multiple times in honor of other people, other things coming in and forcing them to change who they were. Even having people who are supposed to be fellow followers of God harassing them. And having the thing that they were most known for with the grapes stripped away from them. All these things coming in and trying to affect who they thought and knew who they were. But it does seem like in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of all this identity crisis that the city of Philadelphia was potentially feeling, that the the church itself doesn't seem to be struggling as much with their identity. Because Jesus commends them for standing strong, staying perseverant, enduring patiently, no matter what was going on around them. And because of that faithfulness, Jesus says, man, I know you've struggled to have a place to live. I'm going to give you a home in my temple that you will never have to leave. I know you've struggled to know your name and who you are. I'm going to give you a name that is everlasting, that will never change. The name of my God, the name of my my God's city, and the very new name of Jesus himself. Very difficult to have an identity crisis in that situation. And identity is something that we are all very aware of, isn't it? It seems to permeate everything in our lives. From our names, to our families, to our jobs, our hobbies, the sports that we like, the sports teams we like, to our opinions, Opinions about politics, about religion, about sexuality, about gender, about a lot of different things. And all of these things are major parts of our lives. But what ends up happening is these things are the things that we start to use to look for our identity. 
on our own or because somebody else around us or other circumstances around us are, are moving us in that direction. The problem is, is that seeking to, to learn and identify and define your identity by those things does not result in true identity. Because we're trying to identify ourselves with changing things. And our identity is something that's unchanging. Our identity is something that has been established from the very beginning of time. Because our identity is something that's been declared by God. It is something that we find in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know we've talked about this in the past before, but I want to talk about it again. There's, I've come across this really helpful way of thinking about identity. And it begins with this. We have to know and understand that identity, calling, and assignment are three different things. Right? My identity is something that is unchanging, declared by God. I am Adam McKeldry. I am a son, a husband, a father, a follower of Jesus Christ, and a son of the Most High God. That's who I am. And that's never going to change. Our calling, the thing that we are called to do in our lives, the the way we are supposed to live out our identity, is almost as unchanging as the identity itself. Sometimes it will alter a little bit, but not very much. Like for me, since I was 12 years old, I knew that my calling was to be a teacher and a coach. Initially, because I loved and was good at math and basketball, I was like, oh, obviously I'm going to teach math and coach basketball. And I pursued that. But as I grew in my knowledge of my identity and my calling, I realized that that was not where I was supposed to be focusing my calling. My calling was to teach God's word and way and coach people to walk in it. but it took time for me to learn that fully. Our assignment is more like our jobs. Or you can think of it like the things that you like to do. The assignment is the place where we are supposed to be living out our identity and our calling. Unfortunately, many of us blur the lines between these things too much. And we begin to find our identity in our assignment. I mean, if you think about it, it's not, it's not that surprising. What is one of the first things you ask somebody that you just meet? What do you do for a living? Where do you work? And even without trying, we now identify that person as that job. Oh, he's a cop. 
She's a doctor. He's a teacher. She's a business owner. And this is not this is not a healthy thing for us to do in the long run because what happens when you lose that job or have to change that job or retire from that job you're no longer a cop you're no longer a doctor you're a what what are you if you find your identity in your assignment you don't know and i have seen a lot of people who have struggled with that i have struggled with that you probably some of you have probably struggled with Finding your identity in your assignment. Or you know people that have. We were not created to find our identity in the things that we do. We have had an identity that has been established from the very beginning. Established by God. Declared by God. And we face a choice each and every day. The choice to either decide to walk in that identity that God has declared about us when we follow Jesus, or we get to choose to walk in this identity that we define based off of our jobs or interests over things that are influencing us in our lives. I know this is not... An easy thing. It is a struggle some days, some seasons, to know what your identity is and to walk in it. And some of us struggle with that because, man, we've forgotten who we are. Or we've chosen to walk away from that identity. Or maybe you've never had anybody ever tell you what your identity in Jesus was. I think it was probably difficult for this church in Philadelphia. I think they probably struggled every day just as much as we do to know their identity, but I think they did it. I think it was the reason why they were able to stand firm in who they were, to endure patiently all the things that were going on around them was because they knew who they were in Jesus Christ. And I believe that is exactly what we have to be doing today. That, I think, is what we are supposed to be walking away with today. In verse 11 of this chapter, Jesus tells the church, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you know so that no one can take your crown. That phrase, hold on, is the Greek word, kriteo. Kriteo means to, to hold fast. Not to discard, not to let go, to keep carefully and faithfully. Like you're holding on for dear life. And I can think of nothing better, nothing more stable, nothing more faithful or true than who God says you are. 
Well, like I say, some of us might not know that. Some of us probably do, and we're, we're holding on to that, and there are days where we're holding real tight. But maybe you're here today and you don't know because you've forgotten. Or you walked away. Or you just don't know. So I want to share with each one of you something God says that you are. Your identity in Christ. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into the family with all the rights and privileges. You're a co-worker of God. He has invited each one of you to partner with him as he puts this world back to its original design. He restores his creation. You have purpose. You are light. It can seem like a dark place, but you are the light of the world. Shine bright. Many of us have things in our past that we don't want to look back at. That was who we were, but guess what? You're a new creation. All things have been made new in him. You are a new creation. You've been justified. You've been redeemed. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You are free. You are free from the bondage of sin and death. They can no longer hold you down. You are loved. A love that you could never imagine, that you've never experienced before in your life, that's who you are. And you are a friend. You're not alone. I don't know if one of these jumped out to you guys today. These are only a few of the ones that I've found over time in God's text. The things that he says about who I am, who you are, when we choose to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe one of these jumped out at you today. Or maybe God reminded you of one that you used to hold tight to in the past. But find that part of your identity that you need to remember each and every day and hold fast, curtail onto that thing so that you will be able to endure, to patiently wait for his return. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. It's walking in our identity. As we move towards communion today, which if you're new with us, uh, we get to do communion each and every week. Um, As long as you have decided 
made that decision to follow Jesus, to do the best you can to walk in your identity in him, or maybe you're not doing great, but you've made that decision, we'd love for you to celebrate with us. If you didn't grab your package of elements, if you raise your hand, we got some ushers that'll bring them to you. But this last week, as I was working through this and praying through this, uh, God brought on to my heart a piece of text. And I didn't know where it was supposed to fit in here for this sermon today. But I think it works right here. So as you guys are thinking about your identity in Jesus Christ, and what it is that you need to hold fast to, just hear what God has to say. This is Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by the God, my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait, endure, persevere, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. On that night, Jesus took the bread and he broke and he said, guys, this is my body that will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, this is something that we can hold on to. Let's take it together. And then after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us again remember. Let's pray. Well, God, I want to, Lord, I thank you for the honor to be able to come together as a family as a little church here in Moscow that, Lord, that you know and love dearly. Lord, you know each and every one of us. You know the things that we struggle with, the things that our region struggles with, and you care. You care about us. You love us. And Lord, you declare identity in us. Father, I just pray that as we leave here today, 
Lord, whatever things that we've been struggling with in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in our, in our, in our town, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that each person here today walks away with knowing at least one thing that you say about them. One thing that you have declared about them. For them to hold on to and not let go. That they may be able to endure whatever is going on in their lives. And walk humbly before you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.